Well, good morning, everyone. You're a lively bunch. I'm glad for that. Good to see you all this morning. My name's Aaron, one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and uh, we're super pumped that you guys chose to be with us on this beautiful rainy morning, right? It's a good day to be inside, wouldn't you say? Yeah, good. Well, we're going to be continuing our series called Starting Point, and if this is your first time here, I'll give you a little bit of an update, but I'd also tell you this series kind of builds on itself. We're taking a series that we often use in video form, and we're teaching some of the key ideas in it um, here on our Sunday morning, just so that we can unpack the very real idea that everything has a starting point, okay? And faith is no different. Think, think about this with me for a minute, okay? You have a starting point. Some of you, I know that's news to you. Good morning. You know, you have a starting point, okay? It's called your birthday. Okay, good. We got it. Some of you were started on purpose. Others of you were not. Nevertheless, at some point in your life, the beginning, you have a starting point. And everything else has a starting point. Relationships have a starting point. We get this. And the reality is that faith has a starting point too. Now, if you're anything like me, you may have grown up with some sort of faith background. Maybe you went to Mass and you learned about faith. Maybe you went to synagogue. Maybe you, you know, maybe your parents didn't take you to church a whole lot. They didn't teach you a, 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 you know, a whole lot about religion. And so the whole idea of there being a starting point for faith is new to you. Whatever it is, wherever you, you know, whatever you came from or, or, or grew up with, the reality is that sometimes life challenges our belief systems, wouldn't you say? Ever had anything that happened to you in life that you're just like, I did not see that coming? And it comes out of left field, and now all of a sudden, everything that you thought you believed, you realize, man, I thought I was sure. Now I'm not so sure. And that's the essence of religion. There are things that we can think we're sure about. But if we stick with religion, the reality is there are things that we're not so sure about. Well, today, we're going to talk about something that is often debated, and a lot of people would say, well, you, you can be sure in this, and then there's a lot of people who would say, well, I don't, I don't know, maybe you can be sure, I don't know. But since we're talking about the fact that faith has a starting point, I figured we might as well finally talk about faith. That's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the reality of faith. Now, here's the thing. Um, faith has been used, misused, abused, confused, all kinds of things. In fact, I would say that faith might be one of the most confused, misused, and abused concepts in religion. Right now, we're seeing in our world today a fight that's over faith. Do you know that? There's a group of people who believe they should have a piece of land, and another group of people who believe they should have that land. It's about faith, right? We've seen all kinds of terrible things done in our world in the name of faith, right? We've seen all kinds of things that are done in the name of belief 
and faith, which tells me that the idea of faith is a little bit confusing to us all. Now, before we dive into talking about faith, there's a couple of things that you need to know. Number one, you know, the, the first thing I want you to know is just that faith is not purely a religious idea. It's not. It's not purely a religious idea. In fact, let me make a couple observations about faith. First one is this. The ability to believe is, is actually a human thing. It's just a, a normal human function. In fact, I would say the, the ability to believe is the most powerful force at our disposal as human beings. Think, think with me for just a minute, okay? Think of the things that have been done in the name of belief or faith, both positive and negative. Do you realize we exist today as a country because of a belief? Did you know that? We exist today as a country, United States of America, because of a belief. There were a group of people who believed that they should be able to have a better life. They believed it so much they got on a boat and came and, and colonized North America. You know? They, they lived in these, these 13 colonies, and eventually they, they believed something so much they got upset with the king in Great Britain, and they said, we believe that we should be free from you. And the king's like, oh yeah? And they're like, yeah. And all of a sudden, we had a war on our hands. Why? Because of belief. You know? They said, well, I'm going to get a gun. And they said, oh, I'm going to get a gun. And here we go. Where did that come from? Belief. Think about a different war in our nation's history. A war that happened in the 1800s where you had, you know, a fight over, over, you know, rights. And some people said, well, we think that all the rights should be with the states. And some people said, well, we think the rights should be uh, with, with the entire nation. We think these people should have rights and these people shouldn't have rights. And, then, and all of a sudden, all over a belief, we had ourselves a civil war. Hmm. Where did it come from? Belief. Go to World War II. Adolf Hitler, you know all he did was talk? Adolf Hitler got in front of a bunch of youths, a bunch of people, and he talked, talk, 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 talk. I have this idea. I think Germany should be this. We should be that. Talk, 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 talk. And before you know it, our world was at war. Belief is a powerful, powerful thing, both for good and for evil. Second, I, I think that we constantly look for evidence for the things that we believe. You ever notice how if you believe something, you're constantly looking for evidence to back it up? You're checking the news, you're checking all kinds, oh yeah, hey, that backs it up. And you know, I, I believe very much so that this is most true about Republicans and Democrats. Some of you got nervous for a minute. I thought I'd, you know, just, we're, we're equal opportunity here, okay? You, you hear this all the time, like, the, you know, the same event will be used to support different agendas because we're constantly looking for evidence to support what we believe to be true. And third, the third observation about faith is that faith is actually quite easy to maintain within a community of shared beliefs. And what I want to do this morning is show you a community that had ideas about Jesus 2,000 years ago. Now, you might be surprised at 
one of the things that they believed. To, to start, there was a small group of people who started following Jesus, a group of about 12, and then there were about another 150 around them that, that were there and would follow around. And all of those people were following Jesus because they, they started to, to hear what he had to say and they heard his ideas and they, they heard his teaching, right? And, and a lot of them started to believe that maybe Jesus is the Messiah. Here's Jesus talking, teaching, all kinds of things. And they started to believe, just maybe, Jesus is the Messiah. But then something happened that changed everything. You see, here's the reality. At somewhere around the age of 33, Jesus died. And here's what you need to know. When Jesus died, when he, when he died, those who were closest to him believed that he would stay dead. When they when they saw him dead, they thought he was going to stay dead. They thought that he wasn't going to get out of the grave. In fact, we know that because they all ran and they hid. They got scared. They went to homes. They hid there. They didn't go out. They didn't go out and talk about Jesus. They ran away. We know that because several of the women started preparing things to, to you know, take care of his body and to, to preserve it in the way that you would for a normal person who had died. They thought he would stay dead. Now, if that was the end of the, the story about Jesus, there would be no biblical Christianity. There wouldn't be. Something happened that changed it. If this, if this were about religion, we would say, okay, go back. They went back and they, they thought about Jesus' teaching. They thought about, oh yeah, remember that Sermon on the Mount thing? That was really cool. Remember the day that, that, that Jesus brought, you know, there were like 5,000 guys there and maybe like 15,000 people there and Jesus took, you know, you know, two fish and five loaves and he, he, he multiplied it and he fed. Man, that was awesome. We should really keep going for Jesus. But that's not what reignited their faith. That's, that's not what changed everything. The thing that reignited their faith was not something that he taught. It wasn't something that he taught at all. See, the thing that changed everything was a piece of evidence, a piece of proof, not uh, I think so, or I hope so, but uh, I know so. The thing that reignited their faith was something that Jesus did. And it changed everything. It changed everything so much that all of these people who were in hiding came out of hiding. They started telling people. They started talking. They started going out in public. They went to the temple where the leaders were who helped crucify Jesus. And they started talk, talk, talking and sharing ideas. And you know what they talked about? They didn't talk about what Jesus taught. They talked about what Jesus did. Then there was a group of people who rose up and started persecuting them. One of the people who was at the head of that was a guy named Saul. 
And Saul was all about eradicating the, the, the Christian movement, all about stamping it out. He went around trying to find people, imprison them. He even helped kill some Christians. He wanted to stamp out Christianity, and then something changed everything. And it wasn't what Jesus taught. It was what Jesus did that changed everything. And Saul became a follower of Christ and got a new name. He became known as Paul. And Paul, and this, this part I'm just making up, it's not in the Bible. I kind of think it probably went down like this. So, you know, just you know, stick with me for a minute. But, you know, after a little bit, after Saul and Paul learned more about, you know, following Christ, he brought all of the, the Christian leaders in Jerusalem together and he, he brought out a map and he rolled it out in front of them and he said, okay, hey, we're here in Jerusalem. Okay, all you guys, yeah, I see you over there, John, yeah, okay, yeah, all you guys, Peter, yep, you've got Jerusalem. I'll take the rest of it. And he started traveling the world. And he started telling people about Jesus. And one of the places he ended up was a place called Athens. Not Athens, PA, okay, I said Athens, New York for the last time because apparently I'm not from here yet. Um, so so uh, thank you to whoever corrected me. Not Athens, PA, no, Athens, Greece. And in Athens, Greece, Paul lays out the foundation for faith. And I just want to tell you, it's not something that Jesus taught. I want you to see it. Here's how the account goes. It's found in Acts chapter 17. If you want to follow along in your Bible, you can. Otherwise, you can see it right here. But the text tells us that Paul was waiting for a group of people in Athens. He was waiting for other people that were sharing the good news about Jesus in, in other areas. And while he was there, he began to be disturbed. He was bothered by what he saw. Okay? Anybody ever been bothered by the news or bothered by a culture or bothered by what you see? That's what was happening to Paul. He was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. And even today, I'll show you a few here in a bit. If you go to Athens, you will still find temples, you will find statues, you will find you know, all sorts of things declaring worship to other gods. That's what Paul was seeing that day in Athens. So what did Paul do? He did what he always did when he went to a new area. He went and met up with the Jewish people in that area. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square. This is probably the Agora, okay? A great giant market. You can still go there today in Greece. A great open air, air area where he would go. And he started telling people who were there about Jesus. He had some debates as well. The next verse tells us that he had a debate with some Epicureans and Stoic philosophers. This was common in that day in Greece. The Stoics were a group of people who believed that everything, there's rhyme and reason for everything. There's rules and morality and you need to follow them and that's how life fits together well. The Epicureans were the complete opposite. They were like, whatever, rules, nobody cares. We're just here to have fun and give me another glass of wine. This is great. Paul started t talking with these people about Jesus. And when he told them about Jesus, some interesting things happened. In verse 18, look at what it says. It says, when he told them about Jesus and about his resurrection. 
Not his teaching. Not the Sermon on the Mount. Not even if we took, like, let's, let's say Jesus, you know, took the, the, the teaching from the Ten Commandments or whatever. You know, if we go back 3,800 years, okay, from today, you know. No, he didn't tell them about his teachings or the rules or the standards that he set that, frankly, were so high no one can meet them. He told them about his what? His resurrection. Look at their response. They said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. So some of the people heard him and they said, okay, we know exactly where to take you, Paul. We have this place where we have all these arguments and all these debates. We're going to take you there. Verse 19 tells us. So they took him to the high council of the city. This is a group of people who met to debate ideas and all sorts of things. And they met at a place that today we would call either uh, the Areopagus or Mars Hill. Still a place that you can go to. And they said, come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. Now, you can go to Athens today and you can see Mars Hill. Here's what it looks like. It's just what I like to call, if we pull up the picture there. Yep, going the wrong way there. There we go. All right. Right here. It's just what I like to call a big rock. Doesn't really look like much. But the people would go there and they would debate and have all of these conversations. Here's the interesting thing what you can't see from this picture, because you're looking more into the city, if you flip the camera around, you see right behind you the Acropolis, and you see the Pantheon, and you see, you see a dedication to the goddess Athena, you see a dedication to the god uh, Nike, you see Jupiter, a temple to Jupiter, all of this in the background. And Paul is about to talk to them about his ideas about God. Now, here's the thing. They were constantly debating, just like people are today, because when it comes to religion, there's a lot that you can be sure of, but there's a lot that you can't be sure of. And Paul is going to share something with them, but he's going to share with them that he's sure. And I want you to see why. In verse 20, he picks up and it says this, you are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. They, they brought him, and they said, tell us what's going on. And then we get a little bit, of, in verse 21, we get this little bit of an idea of what was happening culturally in Athens at that day. Look at what it says. It says, it should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seemed to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So here's Paul talking to them about his ideas, and where does he start? Look at where he starts. In verse 22, it says this. So Paul, standing before the council, he addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious. Look, every corner, there's a different temple. Every corner, there's a different monument, a different shrine. I get it. You're very religious. For... As I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. I mean, again, let me just point out. This is, this is, this is what the Pantheon looks like. I mean, it's like you see this. You, you stand in Athens today and you can't not see it. Okay? It's there. Standing, booming. You can't not see it. But then Paul 
brings up something else he saw in the city. In verse 23, it says this, And one of your altars had this inscription on it, To an unknown God. It's almost as if they were saying, Athena, yeah, we know. We, we, know, we know her. Okay, Nike, yeah, we, we, know, we know them. Jupiter, yeah, we, we, we know them. Poseidon, yeah, we know them. Mars, yeah, we know them. And there's a lot that we know, but there's also a lot that we don't know and we're not sure. So in case somebody shows up and says, hey, by the way, I'm a god, you missed me. They say, oh, we've been expecting you. You're the unknown God. We've been expecting you. And Paul says, I want you to know about the unknown God. But rather than telling them about his teachings, he tells them about what he's done. Verse 23. This God whom you worship without knowing. He is the one I'm going to tell you about. Verse 24, where does he start? He starts with creation. He says, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, I mean, he made everything, everything you can see, he made it all. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. You've got a temple here and a temple there and a temple there, and you get a temple and you get a temple, but this God does not live in a temple. He's so big. It reminds me. I see my friend Jack here is wearing this, this Aladdin shirt, and it reminds me of Genie with great cosmic powers in an living space, you know? That's what they tended to think about God. And God is so big. And powerful. He doesn't live in these man-made temples. Not only that, human hands can't serve him. Look at verse 25. Human hands can't serve his needs. He has no needs. You can't bargain with God because God doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need anything from me. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. In other words, God creates and sustains everything. It's all in his hands. And then he talks about how human beings got here. He goes on in verse 26. For from one man, he created all the nations through the whole earth. Talking about Adam. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. And he determines their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations. Okay, His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he himself is not far away from any one of us. He's saying, God built it all. And little by little, he's revealed pieces to us, and he wants us to be able to find him. And then Paul does something interesting. He quotes from a Greek poet of the day, verse 28. For in him we live and move and exist, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring, Eratus, a Greek poet of two to three centuries before Paul wrote this. Paul says, you, you, you already have this idea, but there is something that you are missing. 
you know that you're missing something because you have this monument to the unknown God. There's a lot that you're sure of, but there's something that you're not sure of. I want to tell you about what you can be sure of. Verse 29. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. No, that, that's not the case. God overlooked this. In fact, verse, verse 30, God overlooked our, our, you know, our ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent, to acknowledge that we were wrong and say we're sorry and turn and go the other direction and repent of our sins and turn to him. Why? Well, because something's coming and we need to be ready. Here's what he says, verse 31. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he's proved to everyone this. Proved, wait a minute. He's proved. How can you be sure? There's proof? Religion, there's things that you're sure of and not sure of. Paul's talking proof. And what does he give as proof? He says this. He's proved to everyone who this is, who the one who is coming to judge with justice. He's proved who this is by raising him from the dead. Proof. Proof demands that we take a look at it and respond. Now, what was their response? Verse 32. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. We would, we would expect this. In fact, even today, if you, go, if you were to go to Greece, you will hear a, a common idea that says, you know, there's a lot in life that's good, but this, this body is not real good. It's broken down, and, and, and if you die, then, then you're free. Why would you want to come back and be resurrected and have a body again? So people are like, that's dumb. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. And the reality is that ended the discussion. That ended Paul's time on Mars Hill. Now, the text tells us what happened after. In fact, in verse 34, it says this. It says, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysus, a member of the council. And then a woman named Damaris and others with them, one of those people up there on Mars Hill trusted Christ that day. And another woman named Damaris. How did that happen? See, the thing that makes Jesus different from other religious leaders isn't something he taught. It's not that Jesus was a better teacher. It's not that Jesus had better information. It's not that Jesus did a better job of explaining things. It's not something that Jesus taught. It's something that he did. He changed the script and offered proof by rising from the dead. He changed everything. When we talk about faith or belief, I want you to know we're not just talking about blind faith. We are not just talking about something that you just have to close your eyes and, well, I hope so. I think so. Now, their message was, we know so. Proof demands a response. 
That's the bottom line. Proof demands a response. And some of the people there, they were haters. They're like, that's it. You're a moron. You think there's a resurrection? Okay. Some of them were fans. They said, I want to know more. Teach me more. Talk to me more about this. Some of them became followers. Some of them responded right then and there and said, I'm in. I get it. Jesus was raised. There were people who saw him. Paul himself can say, I saw the resurrected Jesus. Jesus appeared to more more than 500 people at once in Jerusalem alone. You could go back and check. This was written a mere 20 plus years later. You could check it out for yourself. And here's the thing. When we're talking about a starting point for faith, we're not talking about a religious idea that says, "Mm, I think so, Mm, I hope so. We are talking about proof. And proof moves us from hope so to know so. That's the reality. It changed everything for the early believers. In fact, that group of 11 or so and then 150 that originally went and hid and they scattered and they they got all kinds of scared, that group turned into a group full of courage who, who scattered all over the place telling people about Jesus. And you know what's interesting? They didn't tell people about what Jesus taught. They all gave the same message, like it's as unoriginal as all get out. Do you know that? They gave the same message. It's very simple. Four points, okay? I can give this to you very quickly. Number one, you killed him. Yeah, John, you, I saw you there. You were there. You killed him. God raised him. We saw him say you're sorry. That was like that was it. That was literally it. It's not Jesus was an amazing teacher. Look at everything that Jesus taught us. It's you. You killed him. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. We've seen the scars. Turn from your sin and believe. That's it. You see, it's not a blind faith that we're talking about here today. It's a look what Jesus has done. It's a Jesus has done something. And because he's done something, I don't have to do anything else. I believe. Proof demands. A response. So what's your response? I realize that each of us here today have a next step in some way, shape, or form. And when you walked in to, to Bridgewater here this morning, you got uh, a little card that looks like this. And I want to ask you, would you simply be honest with yourself here today and write down your Next step. I'm not going to ask you to turn it in. I'm not going to see it. But I just wonder if you would be honest with yourself. Because maybe your next step is that it's time for you to stop asking questions. And it's time to start believing.
Oh, there's plenty of good questions. We've been unpacking a lot of them over the last seven weeks. But maybe today is the day that you say, proof demands a response. I'm going to believe. Maybe today is the day that you are already a believer and it's time for you to start taking that four-point sermon. I don't suggest you walk up to people and say, hey, you, you killed him. Don't start there, okay? But in essence, it's time for us to start talking about Jesus. And not what he taught, but what he did. So what's your next step? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the fact that we can trust him. Thank you that when we turn to you and we say, Father, forgive me. I know that I've offended you. When we, when we come to you and we say, I believe that Jesus has paid for my sin. He's picked it up and he has carried it away. I believe that he is more than enough. And we trust Jesus. You actually forgive us and you make us right with you. You actually extend us grace. God, what you have done is amazing. And I pray that we would lean into that and trust you. That we would have faith and believe. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.